During the Advent season, we normally preach on something that's different than the uh, book of the Bible that we're working through. This year, Advent finds us between series. We finished Nehemiah last week, even though it was the first week of Advent, and we won't start another book until after the first of the year. But for the remaining weeks of Advent, I'd like to explore one great theme. Why did Jesus come into the world? We often talk about the details of his coming, which were prophesied in the Old Testament, things like the fact that he would be born of a virgin, he'd be born in Bethlehem, he'd be born of the line of David. But this is a more basic question. Why? Why did the eternal Son of God take on human flesh to live in this broken world? There are many different reasons. In fact, if you're following the chapel Advent meditations, you've already considered several of those reasons, for that's the theme of those meditations as well this year. You've learned that Christ came to do the Father's will, to prepare us for division, to bring us light, to come to comfort us. He came to demonstrate humility, to reveal God's love, to give us the spirit of adoption, and as I read in my inbox this morning, to deliver us from Satan's tyranny. Huge thank you to the chapel writers who are writing these Advent things every day for us. But there are even more reasons that Jesus came. And so this morning I want to explore, and and the Sundays of Advent that remain, I want to explore uh, some of those other reasons with you. This week I want to consider one fact, and that is that Jesus came to show us the Father. Jesus came to show us the Father. Now this is a different style of preaching for me. There's no one text to explore But I've been looking this week throughout the whole of Scripture to see what the Bible has to say about this. And I'd like to boil down what I've learned into three points. The first is this. God has not been hiding. Jesus came to show us the Father, but God has not been hiding. That's not the problem. To hear people talk, you would think that mankind was on this giant search for God. Like people out looking for Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster, both of which seem determined not to be found. And not having found any of them, people increasingly don't believe they even exist, including God. That's not the picture that's painted by the Bible. God does exist, and he has not been hiding. From the beginning, God has been a self-revealing God who has communicated to his creatures who he is and what is on his mind. I love the way Thomas Long says it. He says, God is pictured not as a silent and distant force impassively regulating the universe, but as a talker, the one who has been speaking, arguing, pleading, wooing, commanding, telling stories, conversing, and generally spinning words across the lines between heaven and earth since the beginning of time. Psalm 19 describes God's most basic form of communication. The physical creation around us silently pours forth speech and displays knowledge of the Creator so that there is not a language on earth in which those words are not heard. So, for example, Mount Baker, robed in the brilliance of snow, majestically shouts, God is glorious, enhanced by the delicate obligato of rising steam. But God has not just left us to observe the wonders of his creation. God has appeared in various forms, at various times throughout history uh, to, to people. The three men visited Abraham and Sarah to tell that they would have a son by this time next year. 
Later they realized they'd been visited by the Lord and his messengers. Jacob wrestled all night with a man who turned out to be the angel of the Lord. Moses encountered the Lord in a burning bush that never burned up. And there God spoke audibly to him. According to Numbers 11, all the people of Israel saw the Lord in that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that hovered over the tabernacle day and night. And in Isaiah 6, the prophet tells how he saw the heavenly glory of God surrounded by his angels crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The earth is full of his glory. You see, God's not been hiding. He's shown himself time and time again. But his self-revelation was not just those the appearances in, in various theophanies. Over the centuries, God has spoken in him even more clearly through prophets whom he raised up. And there are lots of them. Moses and Samuel, Elijah and Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and many more. God spoke to them in various ways. By direct audible voice, in dreams and visions, by miraculous signs and wonders, through strange dramatic acts which the prophets were asked to do, and by using the prophets' personal lives to illustrate his truth. For example, the life of Hosea. The Old Testament scriptures are the result of that. Of those many prophets speaking in many times, in many ways. And those writings are nothing less than God's word to us. As the Apostle Paul explained to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. Oh, make no mistake, God has not been hiding. The fact is, it's mankind who's been hiding. Romans 1 explains that though God has made his existence clearly known, mankind has been determined not to worship him, not to acknowledge him, because they wanted to do our, our own thing, and instead make and define our own gods. And so throughout history the world has been full of idols, made in the image of every kind of man and beast, real and imagined. People wanted images they could see and touch. But in the second commandment, God forbade the making of graven images, idols of any kind. Did you ever wonder why God said no to that? I mean, what could be wrong with making some image to remind us of God as long as it's the Lord that we're worshiping? That's what the golden calf was about, you know. When Israel made the golden calf and gathered around to worship, they did not say, Oh, mighty calf of gold, you are our God. Oh, no, that's not what they said. No, when they gathered around to worship, they said, You are Yahweh, the Lord, who brought us up out of Egypt. What could be wrong with that? What well, is wrong because it misrepresented God. Making him like the idols of the world, creations of man. Confuse the creator with the creature. But it was also wrong because God had a much better plan to make himself known. God was about to make his own perfectly accurate living image. God was about to send his eternal son to reveal him perfectly. Which brings us to our second point. 
in Jesus, God appeared in human flesh. In Jesus, God appeared in human flesh. Christ came to show us the Father. Jesus was God appearing in a body. You know, every year since Jesus was born, there have been new artistic expressions and new musical compositions and new theological musings and new theatrical productions and endless sermons and books, all trying to capture the mystery and the wonder and the beauty of what happened that night in Bethlehem. But nothing compares with the event itself as God appeared in human flesh and was named Jesus. Listen to how the Bible presents it. According to Luke 1, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. So the one born to her was the Son of God. According to Matthew 1, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. According to Philippians 2, Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And we read in 1 Timothy 3, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. God appeared in a body. And according to Colossians 1, Christ Jesus is the image of of the invisible God. By him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and inverse visible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things to hold together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And Colossians 2 says it plainly, in Christ all the fullness of God dwells in a body. Oh, this is a truth which the Apostle John could hardly stop emphasizing. In his gospel, in John chapter 1, he writes, The Word, the eternal Word of God, who was with God in the beginning, who was God, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we beheld his glory. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in his first epistle, 1 John 1, John stated even more emphatically that God had appeared in a body. Listen, he says, that which was from the beginning, that would be God, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at in our hands, have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen, what we have heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, make no mistake, the Bible is crystal clear. Jesus came to show us the Father, and He did that because God was in Jesus, dwelling in human flesh. That's not just a testimony about Jesus. That was Jesus' own claim. For example, he repeatedly calls himself the I Am. That most holy name for God, which the Jews would not even take upon their lips. But Jesus said, I Am. 
the bread of life, the bread come down from heaven. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. Unless there be any question of what he meant. He said, before Abraham was, I am. In Jesus God, the I am appeared in human flesh. Jesus went, on, <clears throat> Jesus went on to claim unprecedented identity with God the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. All things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In fact, as John Stott points out, so close was his identification with God that it was natural for him to equate a man's attitude toward him with his attitude toward God. Thus, to know Jesus was to know God. To believe in Jesus was to believe in God. To receive Jesus was to receive God. To hate Jesus was to hate God. To honor Jesus was to honor God. We hear this clearly in a very pointed conversation that Jesus had with his disciple Philip in John 14. Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And Jesus answered, don't you know, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Well, make no mistake, Jesus came to show us the Father, for in Jesus God appeared in human flesh. Our souls long to know God, for we're created in his image, we're created for fellowship with him. The psalm writer expresses that longing vividly in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. Folks, those aren't empty God words. That's the cry of the human heart. But where will you look? How will your thirsty soul pursue God? You will not find him watching ball games or surfing the internet. Fun as that is. You will not draw near by spending more time with your friends or more time getting in touch with yourself. You will not likely grow, grow closer to him by pursuing advanced degrees or, or, or better paying jobs, though those are fine things to do. But if you want to know God, there is only one way. Get to know Jesus. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And if you want to know Jesus, his life, his teaching, his work, his promises are all contained in the scriptures. There, in fact, there are no less than four Gospels telling the story of his life. So read them. Pray about what you read. Meditate on it. Act on it. For this Jesus came into the world to show us the Father. And he alone is able to do that. For in Jesus, God has appeared in a body. In human flesh. But before we quit, there's one more thing. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. 
Throughout the scriptures, God, people, God's people have longed to know God, to see him and talk to him, to feel the joy of his presence like Adam and Eve did as they walked with the Lord in the garden in the cool of the day. But there's always been a downside to encounters with God. For to see the Lord, to really see the Lord in glory would, mean to, would be to forfeit your life. So when Moses asked the Lord if he might just see him, the Lord said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And so the Lord hid Moses in the cleft of a rock and only let him see the tail end of his glory as he passed by. And when Isaiah saw the vision of the Lord in glory, he was terrified. Woe is me, he said. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In fact, Psalm 66 makes a point that even cherishing iniquity in our heart causes God not to hear us. So Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But who's pure enough? Who can ascend into God's presence unafraid? Well, here's another sense in which Jesus came to show us the Father. For Jesus came to remove our impurity, to forgive the sin which has forever kept us from intimate knowledge of the Father. For this he went to the cross to make atonement for our sin, to reconcile us to God. For this he rose from the dead to declare us righteous by his sufficient payment for us. And because of his work on our behalf, Though we see the Father and we know the Father in a very real sense now, the best is yet to come. Now that Jesus has freed us from our sins, he gives us the promise of eternal life in which we will see God in all the fullness of his glory. So the Apostle Paul writes, Now I know in part, but I, then I shall know fully even as I am known. The Apostle John gives his voice to the same hope. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What Moses longed to do, but could not. We shall see him as he is. Revelation 22, it's the same promise. No longer will there be any curse The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him, and they will see his face. Why did Jesus come into the world? To show us the Father. Indeed, to bring us into the Father's house as his sons and daughters to see his face forever. We don't see it all yet, but be assured and live in hope the best is yet to come. Why did Jesus come into the world? To show us the Father. That does not mean he's been hiding. But now in Jesus, God has appeared in a body. And the best is yet to come. For because of Jesus, we will see the Lord face to face. The 18th century Bible commentator Matthew Henry wrote a piece which he hoped would be read after his death to anyone who might unduly mourn his passing. Here's what he wrote. Would you like to know where I am? 
I'm at home in my father's house. And the mansion's prepared for me here. I am where I want to be, no longer on the stormy sea, but in God's safe, quiet harbor. My sowing time is done. I am reaping. The jo- my joy is like the joy of harvest. Would you like to know what I'm doing? I see God. Not, not as through a glass darkly, but face to face. I'm in, engaged in the sweet enjoyment of my precious Redeemer. I'm singing hallelujahs to him who sits on the throne and constantly praising him. Would you like to know what blessed company I keep here? It's better than the best on earth. Here are the holy angels and the spirits of men made perfect. I'm with many of my old acquaintances with whom I worked and prayed and who have come here long before me. Lastly, would you like to know how long this will continue? It is a dawn that never fades. After millions and millions of ages, it will be as fresh as it is now. Therefore, says Matthew Henry, don't weep for me. And folks, for that Jesus came into the world to show us the Father, ultimately to bring us into his holy presence that we might see him face to face. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, we walk through this life, even as Christians who claim to know you, who know you in some sense. And yet, Lord, we walk through this life preoccupied with all kinds of things, live with a kindergarten knowledge of you, never go beyond that. Oh, Father, grant us the uh, discipline. Move our hearts to desire to know you more. That we might really uh, walk in relationship with you. That we might know you as our, 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 our dearest friend. That we might know you as our wonderful Savior, our, our Lord. We thank you for the promises that surround us. We thank you, Lord, that, that we're not just making up something about Christmas. That somehow you showed yourself in a baby. But, Lord, that all of the scriptures point to what happened and record it for us clearly that God appeared in a body. And therefore we can know you. Help us, Lord, to respond with faith, diligence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're fine-